0: Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 15:1 through 2, and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, welcome to Sacred City. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's my joy to preach the word of God for you this morning. And so let me pray and we'll get right to that. Father, you are gracious. You are the giver of good gifts. You've given us so many things to enjoy and to celebrate this morning. And... um, Most specifically, you've given us your word to reveal who you are and what you've done. And I pray that you would help me expound that word, help me rightly teach that word, rightly preach that word this morning, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. I pray that your people, that your sheep would hear your voice this morning and they would come to you and rejoice in you, that you would speak and we would hear in Jesus' name precious name i pray <clears throat> amen well we are in a series we're calling fundamentals and if you've been around here for a little while you know the last few weeks we've been talking about first off our how our identities in Christ produced new rhythms in our life okay that at sacred city we believe because of the work that God has done he has made us family he's made us missionaries he's made us servants and he's made us learners and when we know who we are, that's going to change the way that we live. That's going to change our rhythms. By the way, I'm just going to say it's really good to see your faces this morning. Okay? I'll say that for you. I just realized like, oh, I don't just have to look at their eyebrows. This is really good. I'm always like, did they get that? I just saw one eyebrow move. I don't know. Like, <clears throat> yeah. So it's good to be here. It's good to see your faces this morning. Now, So that's what the gospel changes who we are, gives us a new identity, and then now, once we understand who we are, we're going to understand how to live our normal lives a little bit differently for the glory of God. Now, my goal in this series is to help us learn how to live a gloriously normal life as we follow Jesus and make disciples who make disciples. That normal life is going to be full of just certain rhythms that everyone shares. Things that you do already every day, but now as you come to understand your identity in Christ, that you're a Christian, it's going to change just those things that we do every day, just going to tweak them a little bit, and now they can be done as acts of worship to our God. We've already talked about two of them, the rhythm of listening and the rhythm of eating, right? Now today should be the easiest one so far, the rhythm of celebrating, all right? Now, celebration is a natural expression of our humanity across all cultures and contexts, something that makes us different from the animals, right? Think about how often we celebrate things as human beings. We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate graduations. We celebrate wins. We celebrate weddings. We celebrate holidays. In our society today, we, we can't stop doing this. Like, did you know that this is the, the assistant to the assistant to the assistant administrator's day? That's what today is. No, I'm just joking. But Hallmark seems to be creating like, it's assistant day. It's, we always got mother's day, father's day. We all know children's day is every day. So we don't celebrate that kids. Sorry. But we love to celebrate. Now, have you ever stopped to ask yourself why? Why do humans celebrate? Well, first let me start by defining our terms. According to the dictionary, to celebrate is to acknowledge a significant or happy day or event with a social gathering or enjoyable activity. So to celebrate is to do two things at the same time. It's to acknowledge something good and to do something enjoyable. To acknowledge something good by doing something enjoyable. So we celebrate birthdays. We are acknowledging something good, right? You were born, Josh. That's good. That's good news. So on your birthday, we are going to celebrate you and that reality by giving you gifts and by throwing a party and by having cake and having a fun time, right? Right? That's what we do. So you see those two aspects in that. So let me put it in one sentence. To put it simply, celebrating is praising what we enjoy and enjoying what we're praising, okay? Praising what we enjoy and enjoying what we're praising. Now, C.S. Lewis was meditating on this interesting reality as he was writing his reflections on the Psalms. And this is what he said about it. It's a little... Extensive paragraph, uh, but just bear with me. <clears throat> this is what he said, quote, I think, and I want to, I'm want to draw attention to some big words here. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Okay, you see those three. We delight to praise what we enjoy. All right, let me. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Listen, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. He says, the Scotch Catechism says it best. The, chief's, the, ah, the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall know that these things are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorifying Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Do you you see what he's saying there? He's saying to praise something good is actually the completion of the enjoyment. You actually haven't really enjoyed it until you tell the chef that was an amazing steak, right? Or the chef or whoever it is, right? So praising is a part of enjoyment and enjoyment is a part of praising. Those two things are connected. So listen, why do human beings love to celebrate? Because we were created by God to acknowledge His glory and enjoy Him forever. That means we were created to celebrate Him and all of His good works forever. What that means for us is that a key piece to being a Christian is learning how to enjoy God. Learning how to delight in Him and the good gifts That he's given us, that we are to be a people marked by purposeful, jubilant celebration. Now, I wanna show you this in a few different places in the scriptures. One, when the angel showed up in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, to announce the birth of Jesus, it was a birth announcement that turned into a heavenly celebration, right? The angel didn't show up and go, oh, yeah, the Savior's born. And they're like, oh, well, come back later. Right? Now, listen to what happened. The angel declared, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And listen, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do we see this? There was an announcement of great joy. The birth of the Savior happened and this announcement wasn't complete until an angelic host came up behind him and were singing in rapturous, rapturous praise and just glorifying God, right? Do we see this? So good news creates great joy which culminates in multitudes giving glory to God. God gets the most glory when we celebrate by enjoying Him and the good gifts He gives us. Now, this is a fairly simple concept, and yet many Christians don't live their lives this way. Christians have the best reasons in the world to celebrate. First, James tells us, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What that? that means is everything good in our world is a gift from our gracious Father that should be celebrated and enjoyed. One of my pet peeves is people thanking the universe for things. What? The universe is trying to kill you. The universe doesn't feed you. God, our heavenly Father, is the one who gives us good gifts, right? We should recognize that, right? The universe is shooting planets at earth, you know, trying to take us out. God's one going, nope, 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 All right. Now, as the family of God, who know where good things come from, that good things come from a good heavenly Father. That means Christians should be showing the world how to celebrate. Being a Christian should be marked by joy and celebration. This week, I, we got a surprise. You never know when you see those weird, really legal-looking uh letters that you get in the mail that's from a law firm. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? Open it up. It's probably, I'm thinking it's it's not from the city of Davenport. I already know what that is. I blew through a red light camera or something. Like, I know what that one is. I'm like, that one's going to cost me $65, okay? This one I open up and I'm going, what happened? What, What did I do? And it's from a law firm that's telling me that when we sold our house two years ago, there was a radon inspection, and we paid the guy thirteen hundred dollars. Blah 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 blah. That check was never cashed. They didn't need it. Blah blah blah. Here's a gift. Ba- here's it back to you. It's like, I was like, and what do I do? Right away, I promise. Right away. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good gift from my heavenly Father. Right? That's not. That's not the universe doing anything for me. That's Jesus. Right? That's how we sell. We so every good gift that we get, we're meant to receive it as a good gift our Heavenly Father. On top of that, as Christians, we know the gospel, the good news. The good news that as sinners, we are saved by the sheer grace of God. We aren't saved because we're good enough, smart enough, good looking enough, you know, on the right side of history enough. No, no, no. We are saved only by the sheer grace of God. We are adopted into the family of God and given eternal life through Jesus. And so we have so much more reason to celebrate. This is why we gather together on Sunday morning. We are celebrating God and His gospel and all of the good things that He has done for us. Think about all the things that we celebrate around here. We celebrate baptisms, We celebrate dedications. We celebrate the Lord's Supper week in and week out. We celebrate graduations. We celebrate church membership. We are always looking for a reason to have donut holes. You guys know this, right? (laughs) We've got a worship night coming up where all we're going to do that night is just celebrate God. We're just going to sing and worship and praise God. We want to be a church that's marked by celebration. This is also one of the reasons why we pray through and share evidences of grace in our missional community every week. We want to celebrate God's kind providence in our everyday lives as we praise Him for it. We do So in missional community, we we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate holidays, we celebrate anniversaries, we make it a point to throw parties as often as we can. Every time a missional missional community multiplies, we throw a party. One of my favorite times of the year is our Christmas party, our missional community Christmas party. It's a blast every single year. A missional community should know how to have a good time and celebrate the good gifts that come down, from a good God, it's why we sang. This is our Father's world. This morning, do you remember? Now, you, first, you might say, "Okay, Justin, this kind of sounds a little. I don't know about this. We should throw parties. We should celebrate." Do you remember? And I mentioned this last week because these all kind of go together with this—the the eating together and eating with notorious sinners. It gets repeated today in our text. Do you remember? Jesus at the wedding celebration in Cana, his first miracle. They ran out of wine, and what did Jesus do?, hold on. We'll give you some aquafina. You need some aquafina in this place. Crystal-clear water. Everybody, sober up, calm down, chill out at the wedding. No, that's not what Jesus does, does he? He fills the water pots, pots with water, and then he miraculously turns the water, into wine. Jesus literally cranked the party up to 10 by producing the best wine the guests had ever tasted. Now that is a, Christian, that is a party tip, okay? <laughs> party tip for you. Skip the box wine stuff. Grab the good stuff when you go to a party, okay? Bring the best wine. People will like you. There we go. But, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is this gospel hospitality, is this ability to celebrate, is this what Christians are known for? Are Christians known for their joy and their proclivity to celebrate? Are Christians known for their announcing good news that produces great joy that leads to celebration to the glory of God? Now, I don't know too many Christians who are, and I don't know, definitely don't know too many churches that are known for throwing great parties. Why is that? Well, I think it's because we have forgotten the gospel. Our hearts have grown cold to the good news that produces great joy. And what happens when churches and Christians forget the good news and their hearts grow cold to that great, great joy, they quickly slip into becoming joyless, moral watchdogs. Just think about that. Who wants to be around a watchdog? (laughs) A moral watchdog? That's really sad. And I think if you don't know how to celebrate and enjoy the grace of God, you're showing the world a misrepresentation of our gracious God. If you don't know how to party, laugh, and enjoy the grace of God and the good gifts that God gives, you're teaching your children and your family that God is a Debbie Downer. That's not the gospel, and that is not who God is. And I think this reality is perfectly depicted for us in one of Jesus' most famous and well-known parables, the parable of the prodigal sons in Luke chapter 15. Now we're going to start, if you open up your Bibles, in Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2 because I think it's an important key that many people miss. It's verses 1 and 2 show us the audience that, uh, who Jesus is speaking to, who Jesus is telling this story to. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Now, that should show us something right away. Again, why do tax collectors and sinners like to be around Jesus? Why? Because he knows how to share good news that produces great joy for them. Okay, but let's keep reading. All tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Okay, we here's our second group. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, it's important for us to see who Jesus is speaking to here. He's got two groups of listeners. We've got the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes. To put this in our vernacular, he's got... A really irreligious bunch of people known 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 for joyfully breaking commandments. These guys break commandments and enjoy every second of it. Okay? They're having fun, they're having a good time, cussing like a sailor sailor while they're at it, right? Then we've got this other group. This group over here is a is a bunch of really religious people known for joylessly keeping commandments. who do you want to party with? (laughs) Jesus is setting it up here, right? He's setting it up. All right, so that's, that's an important point because Jesus, in this parable, here's the cool thing. In this parable, he is so wise, he's so brilliant, he's gonna set this story up to address both people, both groups of people, okay? The partiers and the moral watchdogs. Alright, So let's jump down to verse 11 and we'll get into the, par- the parable of the prodigal son or sons as we will see. Verse 11, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Okay, here we go. We had two groups of people. Now we've got two sons. And the younger of them said to his father... Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Okay, now this is one of the most hurtful, disrespectful things you could possibly do in Jesus' culture. Jesus' culture was a patriarchal society that the the inheritance would only be passed on to the child, to the children at the father's death. So as the young brother comes up, the younger son comes up to the father, in, in essence, he's saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. You are dead to me. Just give me what you owe me. Give me what belongs to me. Give me my half of the estate. Now this is, in mo, Jesus is already setting this story up where most Jewish listeners are waiting to, for the father to go, Psh! child please, right? That's what would normally happen if when, when you disrespected your father like that, right? No way. But what the father does in this story is a little different. Look, and he divided his property between them. So he gives the son, the prodigal son, he gives the younger son what he wanted. The father actually acquiesced to his request. Immediately, religious leaders are going, oh, why would the father do such a thing? It's a disrespect. Giving a disrespectful son what he wants in this moment? Now look what happens. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. So that means he took all of his, half of his father's estate that he had just got. He took it all and he leaves. He took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we're told later on in the story, one of the key ways he squandered that was through his use of prostitutes. So this is a pretty immoral young man. But God has set his world up in such a way that if you live like a fool, you get a fool's reward most of the time. And so guess what? He was having a great time. He was having a party. He had many friends. Everybody was surrounding him. But if all you got is dad's inheritance and you're just spending, 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 you are going to run out of money, you're going to run out of friends, and you're going to run out of food. And that's exactly what happens to him. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now, if you know anything about uh, the Hebrew religion and the Jewish, uh, the Jewish faith, it is sacrilege to be around pigs. So he's at the bottom of the barrel here. He's he's hanging around um, something that would make him impure. So he's already morally impure, and now he's even rich, ritually and uh, impure before the Lord. And the, what does he say here? Verse sixteen. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he is at rock bottom here. He has, He's so hungry, he's looking at what the pigs are eating and he's wishing he could get in there and eat with the pigs. Okay. So, he takes off, he spends his whole inheritance in reckless living and it doesn't go well for him. He He's degraded himself to the point of a beast and now look what happens. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, this is a great picture of repentance, that you're living in a foolish way, you think what you're doing is best, and all of a sudden you realize, what have I been doing? I am so dumb. How have I done this to myself and to my father and to my family? On and on. This Look what he says. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? Okay, here it is. He's like, I'm a son of the Father, and look what I've done with my life. But the servants of my Father, they're better off than I am. Keep reading. But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my Father, and I will say to Him, here it is, the repentance, Father, I have sinned against heaven, so I've sinned against God, and before you. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I've sinned about against God because I did not honor and respect my parents, and I've sinned and I've lived in promiscuity and broken commandments and done all this stuff, and I've sinned against you by, by dishonoring you. Okay, keep reading. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now that is a true statement. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I basically said, you know, I wish you were dead. I've taken half of your hard-earned money that you spent your lifetime accumulating and saving and honoring God with. I've taken half of that, and I've blown it on prostitutes. And so in a very real sense, this young son is not worthy to be the father's son anymore. But he keeps reading. He says this, "'Treat me as one of your hired servants.'" So listen, I get it. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. I'm coming back. But I'm not worthy to be a son. I get that. I've lost my inheritance." But at least let me come work as one of your servants. Let me cuz you're a gracious you're a gracious lord over your household, you're a gracious gracious employer. I'd be better off just as one of the servants. Let me be a hired hand. Keep reading. This part's pretty spectacular. But the father said to his servants. Oh no, I'm sorry. I went too far. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Now, we, that's a spectacular sentence. And if you understand Jewish culture, culture men never ran. Men of respect never ran. Number one, they wore long dresses, okay? They wore long dresses. That's what they wore. And so to run, you have to pull up your skirt thing. You have to show off your knees. It's disrespectful, dishonorable. And it was seen as below you to run. But this father, first off, this father is almost like inspecting the road, right? He sees his son coming from a long way off. What that shows you is the heart of the father had not cut off the son, the heart of the father was longing for the son's repentance. Now, the father wasn't out there searching for him. He wasn't in the far away yanking him out of prostitutes' houses and brothels and trying to take care of him. No, no, no. He let him go do his own thing. He reached the end of himself, but the father was home looking for the son. And when he was a way off, the father saw him, had compassion. That's a good word right there. Our culture wants us to have empathy. Empathy is not a biblical word. Empathy is not a biblical virtue. Empathy, in this, in this situation, empathy goes to the brothel and pulls the son out of the brothel. Empathy goes to the son, "Oh son, you, you're, you're eating food from the pigs. I don't want that here. Here's a burger. Here's Burger King. Take that while, you, while you're sinning, I want you to be fed while you're sinning." Empathy jumps in the sin with a person. Compassion sits back differentiated from them enough to say, I love my son, my son knows I love them, my son knows I'm a gracious father, and anytime time my son desires to come back, I have grace and mercy and kindness for my son. Okay. There's a difference between compassion and empathy. Empathy sees someone in quicksand and jumps in to save them. That's what our culture tells us to do person's hair's on fire. Set mine on too. Ah! We both scream to the heavens together. Compassion goes, oh, I see you're in quicksand. I'm I'm willing to put one foot in there with you and I'm gonna hold on to truth. I'm gonna hold on to Jesus and I'm gonna reach out my hand and I want you to grab my hand. That's what compassion does. And that's what we see the father do here. So, but soon as he sees a sign of repentance in his son, his son is on the horizon walking towards him the father doesn't wait for the repentance. The father doesn't wait for the confession of sin. The father picks up his skirt and runs towards the son. And what we see is not a father going, told you, moron. Proverbs says, you're going to get a full, full reward, right? Proverbs said, poverty's going to jump on you like a thief in the night. Proverbs said, we see the father show a warmth of compassion, right? He wraps his arms around him. Look what it says. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So we see this warmth of affection. We see this warmth of compassion. The father is, guess what? This is good news of great joy for his father. And his father, is happy about it and shows that happiness by embracing him. But the father goes even farther. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at this. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Uh Uh-oh. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. It's a ring that would probably have the sign, the sign of the, the family sign on it. He's a, back in the family. And shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Do you see the grace of the father? He isn't. He isn't okay with his son being a servant. His son, just let me be a servant. Just let me work in your house. I've, I've, you should disown me because I've disowned you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he just trumps it with grace. He says, no, 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 no. Get the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring back on his finger. Kill the fattened calf. Let's throw a party and celebrate because my son that was dead is now alive again. My son that was lost is now found. This is a picture of God. This is what God is like. God rejoices when his children repent. Luke 15, 10. So same chapter, but verse 10 says this. There's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner. Can I say, dare say that heaven throws a party over one sinner who repents? That's how our Heavenly Father treats any of us who turn from our sin and turn to Him. He joyfully, affectionately welcomes us back in, wraps His arm around us, kisses us, puts the ring of sonship on us and says, you are my son or daughter and I love you. Let's throw a party. That's great news. But it's so interesting. It's just fascinating here. Jesus doesn't, end the story there. Now, in Sunday school, when I grew up, that's where the story ended. That was it. Parable of the prodigal son. Woohoo! Gave me hope for my teenage years. But that's not how Jesus ends it. So far, Jesus has only addressed the tax collectors and sinners who joyfully break commandments. He hasn't addressed the Pharisees and scribes who joylessly obey them. To that, Jesus is going to speak of the elder brother. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Hmm. So right away we we see here, older brother, he's out in the field working. He gets close to the house. He hears a party going on. Now, you can already see something about what kind of son this is. Because he's not like, party, let's go. He's like, who's happy? (laughs) He's suspicious of anyone having a good time. This reminds me of a character from George Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden. He wrote of this woman. She had a dour Presbyterian mind and a code of morals that pinned down and beat the brains out of nearly anything that was pleasant to do. (laughs) That's a good depiction of a religious older brother type of person. Let's keep reading. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Why is there a party going on? There's work to be done. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. More than likely, the brother already knew what was going on here. A party of this magnitude could only mean one thing. His rebellious, wasteful, sinful punk brother had come home, and his overly gracious father had probably welcomed him back into the family. Here we go again. Dad's given grace. Here's what we need to see. The older brother is angry at grace. He's angry at the graciousness of his father. Let's look. Verse 28. So the servant tells him, your brother has come. Father's throwing a party. He's received his, him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His old, the older brother was like, I'm not celebrating this. Goes out, wastes everything, comes back into the father, like everything's going to be fine? You kidding me? That's not fair. He would not join the party, he would not celebrate because he thought that if Anyone has earned a party around here? It's this guy. See, older brothers live their life through competitive comparison with others. This is often overlooked in the story. See, many people call this the parable of the prodigal son. But in reality, it's the parable parable of the prodigal sons. Both are lost or both were lost. The older brother is just as big of a stranger to the gospel as the younger brother one was before his conversion as restoration. Let me draw our attention to, to one detail. In the very beginning, in verse 12, it's a key detail most people miss. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. See, the older brother got the other half of everything the father gave at the same day. But, that wasn't just a deposit in his bank account. That was a responsibility to him. He was overseeing everything now. So in a sense, everything was his now. The father didn't have anything. The father gave half to the younger son and half to the older son. But now the older son was managing the estate. And that was his responsibility to make it grow and make it prosper and do everything that an older brother's supposed to do. And so guess what? When dad throws a party, whose resources is dad using? The older brother's resources. Oh, it's fine, boy. You take your side of the stuff and you go waste it on prostitutes. But mine, I'm turning this into a profit. A, 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 a Goodness, where would that word disappear in my brain? All right? I'm turning this into a profit, right? I'm taking a little. I'm going to make it into much. And now this is wasteful spending, throwing a party over that sinner. So see here, he's... He's resistant to grace. What this means is everything that the older brother owned was a gift from his father. He hadn't earned it. He didn't deserve it any more than the younger son did. But the older son had come to think of it as a reward for being a good son and as a responsibility to him. This reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes that God in his grace gives, us, gives two gifts to the believer. He gives good gifts, and he gives the ability to enjoy good gifts. So two separate gifts. The older son, because his heart wasn't oriented to grace, had the property, had the money, even had relationship with his father, but couldn't enjoy it. It's only a responsibility to him. He couldn't celebrate with the family when his brother came home because for him to do so would be to admit that everything he had, he hadn't earned either. All of it was a gift of grace from his father. Here's why I believe most churches aren't known for their joy and celebration they've lost sight of the grace of God and they're full of older brothers. They're full of religious, moral do-gooders. Dour, Presbyterian minds. I know some of you here this morning, if you're looking in this story, you're a lot more like the older brother than you are the younger brother. It's a lot more dangerous to be the older brother than the younger brother. The younger brother, he knows he's sinning. He knows he's broken relationship. He knows he's done bad things. And so it's easy for him in a sense. It still takes the miraculous work of the Spirit of God. But he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's filthy. He knows he needs grace. He has nothing to offer his father. So that guy, it's easier for him. That's why Jesus said, The prostitutes and sinners go into the kingdom before you do to the Pharisees and scraps. It's a lot harder for the older brother to see his actual need for the grace of God and the grace of his father. So what does Jesus want to say to older brothers? First, he says to younger brothers, he says, come home, come home. Arms are open wide, repent, come home. Receive the ring. Receive the sonship again. Let's throw a party. To the older brother, what does Jesus want to say? Well, the one thing that's really neat is Jesus gives good news for the older brother. He doesn't get older brother-ish with older brothers. He doesn't treat the scribes and Pharisees like a scribe and Pharisee. He actually gives them an offer of grace as well. Look at verse thirty-one and thirty-two. No, actually, I'm going to go to twenty-eight because you want to. See, I want you to see the continue this working out of his heart here. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. His father came out and entreated him. His father didn't go. What is wrong with that moron? We're throwing a party. <sighs> Whatever. He sees his older brother, or older son, out pouting, (gasps) mad that people are having a good time. The father goes out and gently entreats him to come join the party. Look, his father came out and entreated him Come on, son, come back to the the party, enjoy the celebration. But he answered his father Look, these many years I have served you. Oh, do you remember the younger brother was like, I'll come back and be a servant. Let me be a servant. And the father was like, no, no, no. Servant's not good enough. You're my son. But the older brother, what's he seeing himself as? He sees himself not as a son. He sees himself as a servant. His identity was as a servant and not as a son. Look what he says. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. I, and my words, I have joylessly obeyed everything you told me to do. Yet you never gave me a young goat. He owns it all. This is all his. That I might celebrate with my friends. Never threw a party for me. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, Came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? <gasps> this kid, this guy, you never gave me a goat, but you killed the fattened calf for this guy? And the father said to him, Son, I've served you. You've never done anything for me. Forgot? Oh yeah, he actually divided the whole property between us. Everything that you have is actually his. Came from him. So what does the what does his father do? He reminds the older brother of his sonship, of his identity. First, he says this, "Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours." And then look at this. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For, again, listen, this is compassion. This is not empathy. The father doesn't go out to the son and go, wah, wah, tell me about it. Oh, it's been so bad for you, hasn't it? All oh, these years, just, so oh, you've been serving so hard. You've been mistreated by the father. He doesn't jump in this suffering with him. He has compassion on him and goes, son, Your emotions are wrong. Your feelings are misguiding you. Son, everything around you belongs to you. All that is mine is yours. It's actually fitting that we threw a party. You think it was wrong? You're wrong. It was fitting we threw a party. Look at this. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead. Family language again. Not this son of mine. Your brother. Your brother was gone. Your brother was dead. Your brother's alive again. Your brother was lost. Your brother was found. You should rejoice in this fact. This is good news. That should produce great joy. But if you're not oriented to grace, the grace of the gospel sounds like bad news to you because bad people get what they don't deserve. But if you're oriented to your own works, you think good people get good things because they deserve it. Mm -mm. First off, if we worked off of that, I tell this to my sons, my kids, not my sons. I have one son. I have four girls. Dad, it's not fair. They've all memorized it now. I'm like, oh, you want fair? No, we don't want fair. Never mind. We don't want fair. I'm like, oh, okay, why? Because what's fair? Fair is sinners get death, hell, and the judgment. That's fair. Everything above that is a gift of grace. It's not from anything that we've earned. Jesus here lays it out for us. Jesus responds, or the Father responds here to the older brother by gently reminding him of his sonship, of his inheritance, and that it is always fitting to celebrate and be glad when repentance and restoration takes place. In other words, it's always a good time to celebrate and enjoy the grace of God. And we should be known for celebrating and enjoying the grace of God. So in Christianity, first off, in our world, celebrations are a common grace given to us by God. But as Christians, with a firm understanding of grace and the gospel, celebrations become a visible sign that can be used to point people to Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what heaven's going to feel like. Heaven's going to feel like a party. The kingdom of God should feel like that too. Now, not all the time. I'm not going overboard here. We're, We're in a war, a spiritual battle But there needs to be clear moments when we see evidences of grace and we see God's handiwork and we see God save someone that we need to take time and throw a party and celebrate it. Now, again, I've done this the last few weeks. Think through family, missionary, servant, learner identities and how that should shape the way that we celebrate. As families, we celebrate together. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate... Good things that are going on in each other's lives, right? As missionaries, we invite other people into our celebrations. Other people should step into our celebrations and go, this is enjoyable. How do you know all these people? This is my church family. What? But they're fun. (laughs) Right. There's good news that's created great joy in these people, and now they're fun. They're enjoyable to be around. Think about servants. As servants, we bring the better wine to the party, right? We come. Maybe maybe we stay late and we help clean up, right? Maybe we're the one that organizes the block party in our neighborhood. Maybe we're the one that has, you know, the really cool Halloween stand out front with the big, super-sized uh, candy bars, right? And we're just bringing joy to our neighborhood, Right Now why? Why are we doing these things? Because we are people of good news, of great joy. We want people to be attracted into our community and hear the greatest news in the universe that Jesus Christ can forgive them for all their sins and invite them into this party. That's why we do it. We want to show such great hospitality that people say, why do they do that? And the only answer is, The gospel. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And God threw a party when he saved me. And so we're throwing parties as often as we can. That could look like celebrating fight nights at your house and inviting friends and neighbors. It could be throwing a block party or just inviting your neighbors into your missional community. The point is this. It is always fitting to celebrate and be glad because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. We once were lost, but now we've been found, so let's throw more parties to the glory of God and invite others into the celebration. That's that's the real practical piece for you guys this morning. Here's what you do. Go throw parties! To the glory of God. Now listen, every single week we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's why we do it. It's a celebration. We're remembering and we're enjoying. The two pieces come together in celebration. We're remembering what Jesus has done and we're enjoying that he's forgiven us from our sins and delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So that's what we're doing this morning. We open up our hands like the younger brother or like the older brother. We don't know what happened to the older brother. I don't know if he repented or not. We open up our hands and we're in need of grace. And we say, what I need, Father, you have. And Jesus gives us himself. His body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. Let's eat it and celebrate this morning. Father, we thank you for being a God of grace who doesn't give us what we deserve Thank you, Jesus, for taking what we deserve. Our punishment, our death, our destruction. And yet you earn for us your righteousness, your holiness, your eternal life, and you give us that by sheer grace. And so we come we belly up to that table this morning and we receive it into ourselves, and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for making us sons and daughters and the family of God, not through our own good works, but through the good works of Jesus. So Jesus, I ask that you would communicate that grace to your people now. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.